Mr. Guy Zombie Hunter is a delicious zombie apocalypse caper of ridiculous proportions. Our reluctant F-Goblin hero, Mr. Guy, explores a smattering of zombie apocalypse tropes trying to find the cure. Each chapter is paired with a different illustrator, giving this ongoing story rich variations in flavor to keep the reader turning them zesty pages. We're kickstarting Act 1 of Mr. Guy from July 1st to the 31st, along with Oneshi Press's 10th Comics Anthology, Origins. For more information, visit Mr. Guy comic.com Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. Hey, and welcome to Adrian Has Issues, the conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. Today's guest, a very good friend of mine, um, has pretty much let me live in his store for like the past six months. Um, for those of you who've been with us since the beginning, oh my God, it's what, episode nine, I think. It was at least, what, three, four years ago? It's been a while, yeah. I still don't even think you've actually listened to that episode yet. I'm not even using a chair. I'm sitting on a pile of your laundry right now. So, uh, <laughs> Thank you for moving the cot out of the way because it was starting <laughs> to stink up the place. <laughs> but Jeff Beck, the proprietor of Eastside Mags in Montclair, New Jersey, uh, we've been doing a large number of recordings in the store. And yet the hardest interview to land was the one with the guy who runs the place. So <laughs> he's actually taking some time out today. And I mean, gosh, where do we start? I, I guess we should probably go back a little bit to the beginning when we were talking about the story of how the store got put together. Um, you okay. having a background in business and then deciding to walk away from all that to open a comic book shop here in Montclair, New Jersey. Like, I actually yep. feel like, you know what? Let's start there real quick because I would think that's a really fun origin story for anyone who hasn't heard the other episode. Uh, so basically worked in, uh, Manhattan for a little over 10 years, ho working in hotels and conference centers, selling technology equipment, to fortune 500 companies, holding meetings in various, uh, meeting spaces and pulling down pretty close in the beginning. I was close to six figures. By the time I was done, I was over six figures, uh, a year, but just, you know, never really lived, uh, six figure paycheck life uh, right no no mercedes-benz no high class apartments or anything like that so you know a lot of the money just got squirreled away and then you know uh had one really bad day uh started stuffing my gullet with cheeseburgers and milkshakes and went oh this isn't me this isn't my life <laughs> so i took them tried to get a loan a couple different ways uh all legal um, and then when I couldn't get a loan, uh, cause I didn't really own any assets at that point or collateral to put up against the loan, uh, just cashed in the chips and, you know, two and a half years of planning behind the scenes of my old job. And, uh, here we are. That's nuts because being perpetually broke, you're like six figures. Every, anybody would want that. Yeah. Until I you mean, realize it's you nice. Um, making that kind of money, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with that. There's a lot of. It's, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of expectations. Uh, you know, and if you, you know, I liked what I did, but I wasn't real fond of anybody above my direct superior. Right. You know, and then, you know, you, it's the same old story. You work for a large corporation that whose focus is the bottom line and not 
the employees and I saw a lot of people who came in, worked for a lot of, and, uh, and this is just more in reference to uh, the last job I had before I quit to open up the store. Um, you know, they were a startup when I joined. So there was a lot of people who came in, got paid less than they should have and really poured their hearts and minds into it because we were fed a bill of goods by everybody in the executive area of the, of the company. So the, the CEO and the, the presidents of the company who were young and idealistic and hungry and ready to build this amazing company. And then as soon as everybody's, you know, people's usefulness wore out, it's like they're, they, they're they out, got, they got shown the door and someone else got brought in. And I mean, I'm not opposed to company growth or anything like that, but oh, absolutely. I mean, someone comes in and takes a paycheck for less than they should be getting pisses blood for you, you know, to, to help you get to where you are. And then the second you don't agree with them anymore, you just show them the door. Like it just leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. And, absolutely. Because um, you're not even thinking about, again, it's all about the bottom line, not realizing that these people who are working for you are living, breathing people. Right. They probably have their own families, their own genes, bills to pay, you know, they got to eat, they have some place to sleep and, you know, people aren't expendable, which is why I find your story, you know, I always find it inspirational is because you then took all of that. You built your own space where it is yep. about the people. Right. And, and, the, and one of the big things that I pride myself on, and I'm sure my, my employees will testify to that is we've, we've now been here going on six years. Yeah. Which is um, nuts. Yeah. Uh, especially selling comic books, yeah, of, which of is especially things. nuts. Um, and we're not Amazon, but you know, one of the things that I think, you know, was a big takeaway from that corporate culture was, yeah, there, I have a, as an, as a business owner, I do understand that there needs to be a focus on the bottom line. You need right. to be profitable. Otherwise you're not in business anymore. But you know, when, I sit down with my accountant or just by myself and I analyze my financials and I see that as a business, we're financially not in a spot that we need to be in. The conversation with my employees is not, Hey, we need to cut back hours or, Hey, I got to let one of you go. It's, Hey, there might be a little shift. It might be a little back and back up in hours during this time period, but we'll make up for it later when it gets busier or, we need to drive more sales and I have a conversation with my employees about how to better sell stuff in the store or I take it on myself to go down other avenues like eBay or our online store to try to drive sales that way and right. say to my employees, listen, this is where we are sales wise. This is where we need to be. Part of what the plan is, is for you guys to step up your game and making sure that as many customers who leave here as possible leave with a purchase of some kind. But also, this is what I'm going to do as the owner, and I need you guys to also just hold it down. Like, make sure that the day-to-day -day stuff is taken care of so that I can focus less on that and I can focus more on eBay or the online store or booking conventions that are off-site running simultaneously with the store being open right. and essentially trying to double up our sales with me being off-site and them being here you know i'm not i've never had a conversation and don't plan on having any conversations where it gets so bad that i gotta let somebody go or you know cut somebody's cut somebody's hours incrementally i mean there's slow periods and busy periods and these guys right. know that but 
you know, that's just the flow of business, but sacrificing a human body, uh, for the, <laughs> for the good of the company is just, you know, that's never a way to go. And I also would imagine that even doing so and taking on that leadership to basically not necessarily place all of the weight on like your employee shoulders by kind of taking that on and finding ways to grow the business, even in, you know, indirect ways that takes like a, a really strong character. Like that takes a, a lot of like digging deep to just be like, look, it's a lot of, it's definitely a lot of work. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's for the good of everything. I mean, you know, I think bigger companies lose sight of the family atmosphere. And that was one of the things that the last company I worked for, you know, that was part of the bill of goods. We're a family. We're not just a company. Oh, we take I've care heard, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in my last job. It's like, oh, we're a family, but it's like, well, this is sure as hell a dysfunctional one. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, complete with the racist uncle and gra <laughs> gra grandma who's always too cold. Uh, and, oh, honey, get me some tea. Do you have another sweater? It's cold in here. It's grandma. It's 85 degrees. <laughs> How are you cold? Oh, it's just, I just caught a little chill. Like you I know. think the racist uncle was actually my boss. Or oh. no, I had the guy who was like pragmatic to the point where I'm like, okay, now you're just full of shit. <laughs> because it was always like, hey, I have a personal issue, let's say with another employee or something. And the response I would always get is, well, we have over 100 employees here, which I'm like, that's good. But there's one. It's actually, a big-ass family. Yeah, but there's <laughs> enough. But there's only two that are having an issue right now. So can we deal with those? Yeah. But it's like, oh, well, this will reflect poorly on them. It's like, no, <laughs> this won't. Well, there's <sighs> there's definitely a way to do both, uh, you know, and work it out so that your employees don't have to suffer. And that's just always, you know, these guys rely on me for a, a job and a paycheck. And, you know, I've, I've got to make sure that that paycheck clears at the end of every week, as well as shipments and other bills and utilities and rent and stuff like that. And then my own family. So, which right. keeps growing. Which that's the other part too. Rate. That's just wild. Um, since the last time we spoke on the podcast, I mean, of course, we've been hanging out or at least I've been hanging out in your store and just seeing the growth from being like this new shop in Montclair and then growing. And again, the whole community aspect. But then, like I said, you've, been a you know a father well now what twice over you've been married like you're well soon to be twice i mean the baby's not out and about yet but uh <laughs> pretty soon we're we're like a month a month and a half away from another child living in my house <laughs> oh god and that's cool like and i love that it's just been it's always been growth it's always been upward momentum and even with all of that now dealing with the family and the business you haven't forgot about your roots you know, and that's, you know, Eastside Mags, which, of course, is based on, what is it, a Bouncing Souls song. It's like, it's always DIY. It's always that punk mentality. It's always about, like, the community stuff. You try. You try. <laughs> and, yes. And, Do the best but, we can. But a lot of people don't. Yeah. So, it's hey, true. if nothing else, congratulations. Thank you. So, you know, we've talked about in the other show about, you know, the comic book store and things you've been doing there. But something I don't think we've ever really discussed was your background, because a lot of what your store does is based on music. Some of the merch is even based off of, like, you know, famous punk rock albums. But we've never really delved into, like, your background and, like, your relationship with music. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> uh oh his, <laughs> None of you can see this. and I probably should have made this, like, his <laughs> face went purple. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> let's talk about it. What do you want to know? I don't know if we've ever really just talked about how much that really just meant to your life as far as like your bands, because I know you kind of run in similar circles as 
Uh, I mean, I heard you yeah. mention the Bloomfield Ave Cafe. Yeah. yeah. Well, music, music's just always been a very big part of my life. Uh, when I was a kid, I always had my Walkman with me. Yes, I'm that old. I remember one of the most excited I ever was at a holiday opening gifts was getting a, my first CD player, getting my first Discman. I spent a lot of time in places like Sam Goody. Yes, I'm that old. Yeah. Um, FYE, uh, there's a, a little record store in Pompton Lakes called Flipside Records that was very cool. That had a lot of like. I heard about it. I never actually got a chance to go there. Very cool store. I don't know if it's still there anymore. And I've always been meaning to like take a drive by and just right. see and maybe go inside. And I think I'm going to try to do that this week now that I'm mentioning it out loud. But a lot of punk, a lot of underground stuff, indie stuff, just, you know metal not a lot of mainstream stuff it's just a very cool hole in the wall just low-key record store a la high fidelity but cooler not as douchey yeah (laughs) um but the same kind of feel where you go in and you could spend just hours flipping through stuff and seeing things that is either super vintage and affordable or you know newer but lesser known artists and um just a very cool spot. Uh, there's a place called Sound Exchange in Wayne where I used to go to a lot. And then there was uh, CD World that's not uh, in Totoa anymore. Um, <laughs> you know that one on 46? Yep. That was a cool spot to go to. There was Off the record, of- I used to work there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Sure. Well, that was like the very tail end before... Uh, the, I might have I might have seen you there. Uh, you might I, have. I spent a lot of time there going through stuff. Um the back of the store was always foreign to me, though, because I never really walked back there. <laughs> Everything I wanted was always in that like front half of the store. Right. So every once in a while, I'd be like, been here like a thousand times. What is back here? And I'd go, oh, more stuff. <laughs> so but you never just thought to just go back and just be like. Nope. I always just, I would just CD racks. Like, oh, let's see uh, if there's anything But you new. almost make it sound like it's like those mom and pop video stores where it always had like the curtain being like, what's back here? And then the one day you just poke your head and be like, oh. Well, it's kind of that same idea, but there was no curtain and there was nothing inappropriate back there. I just physically never walked more than like 20 to, th- I guess, 20 feet into the store because everything <laughs> I wanted was in that first 20 feet. So I know I was supposed to. Um, I do miss that place a lot, though. But I'd go and I'd, I'd be like, oh, where's the no effects tab? And I'd just flip through because they, ha- they always had a lot of like, weird b-sides or like live records that were like looked professionally pressed but maybe weren't professionally done but somehow the the store had them so like you could go to like a familiar band section like i would go to like the no effects tab and flip through and oh okay white trash you heaps in a bean and punk and jublick and this <laughs> you know heavy petting zoo and i'd be flipping through and it'd be familiar 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 but then it'd be like no effects live at south by southwest which is like this like, cool bootleg i'm like how you know, did you get a hold of this like, and i'm like you- oh i've never seen this before and you know as long as it wasn't like a 30 dollar cd because i was like oh, i don't have that kind of money but, right you know I'd, all right let's get it <laughs> it's all songs i know anyway but they're live so why not Funny you should mention that because um, before we got started, we were talking a little bit about Rage Against the Machine, and uh, to this day, so there we go. Oh, because we're, we're gonna get back to this because I'm I'm heated, and I'm glad that you feel the same way about this. But uh, Zach Roca was the band Inside Out. I was in mm-hmm. a No Spiritual Surrender, like mm-hmm. in the store, they had one of like the first CD presses of that. Ooh, very cool. And I was like, it was expensive, but I was working there, and I'm like, I need to get this. Yeah, I didn't even want to open it. And I don't know what happened. I moved since then. Uh-huh. Still cannot find it. No. 
And I don't know whoever has it. If you're listening well, somehow, unless I accidentally threw it out, which probably we, happened. We will find you. Oh, crap. That was like Ooh. some Dr. Claw shit. <laughs> All right. That scared me. But I'll yeah. get your gadget. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that was the kind of the store that there was. And, but yeah, we were talking about Raising Against the Machine and talking about concerts because, well, Glassjaw is doing a 20th anniversary. Yeah. Which you're going, going to. And I'm very upset because I think I missed him the last time around. Oh, my God. We, My wife and I went to. Oh, I don't even. I'd have to look at what year Worship and Tribute came out to know exactly. 2002. It was 2002, so then it had to have been like that was 99. Well, it wouldn't have been the wouldn't have been the 20 year anniversary, so it had to have been like 10 year anniversary. Yeah, because I think it was 2012. Uh, Glassjaw did a, a midnight concert at Irving Plaza for the 10 year anniversary of Worship and Tribute. Oh, that's nice. And while we went, we got tickets. We were standing outside Irving Plaza in this long ass line and in, in the rain, waiting to come in. And I swear to God, it, w- it had to have been. The easiest night Daryl Palumbo ever had at a show because they came out. I want to say there was no opener. It was just them playing the record front to okay. back. And then the encore, you know, was B sub was like the B sides and some other stuff thrown in there. Which those B sides on that album are fantastic. Oh, so good. But they came out and they went and right where the vocals kick in, Daryl picked up the microphone to sing. And you couldn't hear a word because all there was was an ocean of, I'm getting chills just talking about it. There was an ocean of fists in the air and everybody singing and everybody sang the whole record front to back. And I think that dude just stood on stage and swung his microphone around and danced a little bit and sang some stuff. But like, he didn't have to at he that could point. Have, he could have just sat on the edge of the stage the whole night and just. <laughs> and occasionally just ad libbed. Yeah, because I think I saw just them a thank you in the middle of every song. Ninety nine, right? and I think they opened with I think what was it tip your bartender I think yes. with the first track, and Such like you said, once those first two riffs, there's like that maybe like zero point one seconds of dead silence. It's almost as if like in that second, that's like a fist that's coming at you because you're yes. just like about to get punched, and at that point, you're happy to do it because it's an amazing way to open an album oh it's such a good opening track it's probably that's probably like if i had to make a list of like my top 10 favorite like track one songs that's definitely that's definitely up that's top three for for sure and then of course the ending break into moo empire is just so good see now i really have not visited the first album in a while because i do remember the last time i listened to it was you know like a lot of people during a really bad relationship and i don't know if it holds up as much because (laughs) i'm hoping it does and this is coming from a huge fan of this uh there's this i remember the c word being said a lot quite a uh, bit you know in reference to female genitalia um I don't know, and I'm not trying to make up make make up excuses for him or anything. But you know, he was he was really mad at that girl. He was going he through that, a lot of stuff at when the time. he wrote that record. He he was dying, right? Like, didn't they say? He, didn't they tell him he was dying, and then she broke up with him? Like, yeah, it was like a whole thing. Because I know and then he, was... he didn't die. So, yeah, I'd be pretty pissed too <laughs> if the woman I loved left me after a death diagnosis, and then I didn't, in fact, die. It's like, what was the movie, 50-50, but just a lot more hardcore music? <laughs> 28 Days meets 28 Days Later. Uh, <laughs> Sandra Bullock gets bitten by a zombie. Am I getting this movie right? No, yeah, no, that, I think that's how it goes. She gets bitten by a zombie, and then uh, the dude from Batman Begins. <laughs> 
shows up and he's like, I'll show you fear. No, no, I'm really messing it up. <laughs> All right, forget it. But those Glassjaw fans, like between that first album and then Worship and Tribute, it's like you couldn't find two separate fan bases. Like I said, I saw them in 99. This was, no, it was 2011 was the second time I saw them when the Coloring Book EP came out. Oh, yeah, that was a good, that was a good one. Everybody who came to that show for that album release were fans from like 1999. So a lot of it was Worship and Tribute. Nice. Like they practically played the album like back to back with a couple of B sides here and there. So then in the encore, everybody's like, "All right, they're gonna break out the the, the classics." That's usually what happens. Yeah. No, the whole encore was just the coloring book EP, and you had about at least two dozen sweaty, bald, like tattooed dudes with the most dumbfounded look ever because they're looking around and like, no one's. No one's fighting. Why is everybody like hugging each other right now? Like, why is everybody kind of swaying? And every so often, one dude would kind of like shove up against somebody else, thinking maybe eventually the momentum would shift and they start pushing. It's like, no, like they they couldn't. And then they started wow. walking, like they just left. So there's just this whole pit area that just was emptied out because they had no reason to fight. Because the whole time they're screaming, it's like hotel the white locust, and like it Daryl could tell, like we're not playing that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> like we're, we're grooving. This is a grooving and loving night. There, there's no violence on this one. That's fair. I. uh I really liked Material Control when it came out, you know, albeit 15 years after they promised us a new record. And uh, when I when I first found out about the 20 year anniversary show for Everything You Wanted to Know, I had seen a, a Brooklyn Vegan article that I clicked on, which happened to be the day before tickets were going on sale. Right, Brooklyn Vegan had a uh, like a coupon code or whatever that you can ah, use damn, in the pre-sale. Which was great, but the first paragraph of the article was talking about, mentioned how Material Control was an amazing album. And I was so relieved that somebody else felt that way because I feel like a lot, like I was so excited when it came out. I listened to it and yeah, it doesn't, it's not really like, you know, the first two iconic records that they put out, but, um, but I really dug it. I really liked it a lot. And a lot of people I talked to were fuck See, this I, record really this is, like th really no, that bad? you took 15 years to make a record and this is what you give us wow daryl fuck this band fuck this and i was like i don't know man like uh it slaps i like it i like it a lot yeah and like it's in it's it's in rotation i mean you know but to see like a like a like a news outlet like brooklyn vegan call it like an amazing record i was like oh okay it justifies my taste of music and, and i'm not as crazy as i think i've been I am. following their career it's like each release that they've come out with has been drastically different from the first one yeah because worship and tribute doesn't sound like everything you wanted to know um then there was what our color green yep which was also severely great. underrated yes um which you know you think you're john fucking lennon oh I, all, good, all good junkies go to heaven yes oh that right, sounds gonna, so good it's so good. Like those are like bangers, and then you come out with Coloring Book, which is still a heavy, group yeah. heavy album. But like, my God, sludgy. And you're yeah. as a bassist. I'm like those grooves, man. Oh my God, so good. <laughs> so then when they came out with Material Control, at first I was kind of like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. But then yeah. at you, first listen, you're like, but I've learned something, and I don't know if you've had this happen over the years. Where when I listen to an album the first time and it doesn't grab me, 
nine out of ten times those end up being the albums that I end up loving. Agreed. Uh, Propagandi's new one, newest one, uh, Victory Lap. At first, the first track I loved, and then I was kind of on the fence with the rest of them, and now I think it's one of my favorite Propagandi albums. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's so fucking good. It's really good. Because I even did that with, like, At The Drive-In. I know everybody was, like, huge on Relationship with Command, but then when I first got them, like... <laughs> oh, this is a video. You can't God, see me. I, you know, I should have done this video because we'll never get that again. It's my Omar impression. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of um, local, I don't know how I came across it because I was watching a bunch of, like, concert videos from, like, different bands on YouTube. Somehow in my recommended viewing was a At The Drive-In concert at the Wayne Firehouse. Wayne Firehouse. I was there. Are you fucking... I was at that show. Are you kidding me? Oh, I am that old. Yes. So I, wait, I had to go back and watch this and see if you're in the crowd. I am not in the crowd. Uh, or at least you can't see me. Uh, okay. I watched it multiple times because it was such, it was so good. I mean, a lot of, I, I wasn't, uh, I was probably towards the back. <laughs> uh, or, or I might've even been outside because that might've been one of the bomb shelter shows that I wasn't allowed to go in because I didn't pay for a ticket. So I, I might've listened to ATDI from outside as opposed oh, man. to, which was always the bonus of, of the Wayne firehouse, which right? a lot of people don't really mention was you could still hear the bands from outside. <laughs> like it, it wasn't always like you had to be inside. To it hell with noise ordinances yeah, at this point. It's not, it's, it was a firehouse. It wasn't built to be a music venue, like an Irving Plaza or Starland or something like that. So like, you could be in the parking lot leaning up against the building and hear the bands totally fine. I mean, yes, it, it's better to have paid admission and go in. And yeah, but when you're bands, like a, a kid who's into like this stuff and not exactly have like a lot of disposable income. I was a snot-nosed little punk who had very little money and what little money I had in my pocket was was not always spent appropriately. <laughs> um, so I don't... Th- I do remember seeing them, like watching them for a while. I may have ended up in the parking lot at some point during their set, but uh, but I did watch the video in full. I'm not on the video, okay? Because so. I was gonna say that's wild. Because I watched that video and it's like something. It was it was almost as if I had watched like the JFK like grassy you know, video. Because as I watched it, you start finding more things that oh, are like. Because yeah. oh. then it's like it's Jersey punk rock royalties in that video. It's like, well, I have to drive in. They're not from here, but supposedly like Jeff Rickley from Thursday is like actually man in the camera. They swing through the crowd. You could point out like Frankie Arrow and like <laughs> draw yeah, away. You, like it's nuts. You, yeah, man. I mean that that was intense. And if you watch when they're performing and you look at the stage, it's this tiny little thing. Like it's, it's a full, it's a collapsible stage that somebody rented from from somewhere. Like it's not even a real stage. And the, no, it's, and the and the 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 sound equipment is like it's horrendous. It's like some like someone's practice amps from like a basement. But then there's their their gear, which was not nearly as nice as it as it would be if you had seen them later on in their career or or as Mars Volta. It's really kind of like hodgepodge gear that they had with them because they were at the, they were playing firehouses and VFW halls and shit. And then, you know, this tiny rinky little stage that you're like, there's no way that that thing held up for their performance. And it did all like little kids. And if you ever get a chance, just show up at the Wayne firehouse. Don't tell them we sent you, but just ask them if you could see their event space and then just look around because it's, it's, it's really small. It's eight foot ceilings. It's not a, it wasn't a big place. And And so, but it's at the drive-in and it's ah, funny because that was what, that was when relationship of command came out. 
Are you on the the pop punk North Jersey Facebook page? No, I am not. Oh, I'm gonna invite you to it. It's Please do. So good. Oh, it's because now I'm starting to have like flashbacks of, and I, now I'm sounding old and wistful. Where kind of realize there aren't a lot of those spaces. Like there aren't too many. No, bo- there's there's not, not really any Bloomfield Ave cafes. I mean, Montclair's still lucky lucky enough to have the meat locker, and and we try to do little bits where we can in here, in which the, I've always in the, appreciated in the comic shop. You know, trying to host bands. We've got one coming up on March seventh uh, with Dan X Machina, who's originally from North Jersey, but is now down closer to the Philly area. But he'll be here with Forsythia and Disposable, who plays Punk Island a lot. Oh, they're, cool! They're, they're kind of a bigger name in the what's left of the underground punk scene in, in, in New Jersey. So yeah, man. So, I mean, we try to do little bits. Uh, Montclair is really lucky to still have uh, the meat locker and there's a couple other spots here and there that, that still do shows, but yeah, man, the Wayne firehouse, that was like, that was like the North Jersey epicenter of, <laughs> of pop punk in the nineties with, you know, ATDI. And you had, the, I saw the get up kids play there. That's nuts. Um, Midtown and before that, Humble Beginnings and LWL, Lane Meyer, uh, Lane Meyer, Youth, is my- a- Youth Ahead, Welcome Home, Travis. God, Lane uh, Meyer should have been so much more popular than I think than they were. I mean, like in local scene, like they were, they were a thing. But well, that's why I got to get you on this Facebook page because some of these bands are like they're getting back together. Like and- Lane Meyer got back together. I think. Wait, when uh, they did a couple of shows. Um, What's it called? Who else? Who else is recently? Humble Beginnings without Gabe Supporta. Mm. Still excited to see them though. Did a reunion show. Um, oh, it's so good. Check it out. It's like the 1990 to 90. It's called 1990 to 1999 Pop Punk in North Jersey. It's a Facebook page. I'll make sure I invite you. But if you're Much listening, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, definitely go and, and, and check it out. Uh, Mike Doyle, who was in Lane Meyer and now lives in North Carolina. Uh, has an online comic called Daily Bread, B-R-E-D, Daily Bread. It's like one panel, just this little caricature. Uh, I'm assuming it's of him uh, <laughs> with like witty, sometimes sad sayings, uh, depending on how he feels. But he also does a pod. He does a podcast. If I can Wait, promote another podcast. Wait, is he the podcast. one that does um, this, this was, was the scene? This was the scene. Yeah. How am I not putting two and two together? Because I've listened so, to that. It's so good. Uh, he was very, very kind to send me uh, this transparent sticker that I have on my phone, where I keep with my Eastside Mags pop socket and my support your local comic shop sticker. And then we had a graphic novel that he wrote, drew, and self-published called uh, How to Get a Divorce, uh, <laughs> wow. which, which is as tear jerking as you would think it would be. Uh, I can imagine it's more of his like little caricature, one panel type art, but, um, it's super deep and it's really good. And, uh, it is kind of uplifting towards the end. So don't let the, uh, the negative connotation of the title steer you away. I actually should reach out to him. I need to get more copies. I think we blew out, uh, of the, the the copies that I bought from him already. So yeah, and it's like now that as I'm talking to you, I'm getting like wild nostalgic because I think maybe and it, it's just as time goes on and live music is sometimes harder to come by. 
But now that a lot of the bands that we grew up with are starting to come back with their anniversaries, um, I mean, even though they may not necessarily be as local as they used to be, far from it, but like my chemical romance, you know. Like, Those tickets are only $250. Yeah. <laughs> and not like the, was it 300 for uh, Rage Against the Machine? Oh, uh, that's for the, that's for the nosebleed seats. Right. And, and paying that o- part paying is, over a G if you want to actually uh, be able to smell Tom Morello's infantry jacket that he still wears. <laughs> like, and that does bum me out, but I do at least hope. Oh, hello again. Hello. <laughs> we met on a WAN because, um, so for anyone who uh, doesn't know, I was actually on the phone um, with um, my girlfriend, Eileen. Shout out to Eileen. Hey, Check Eileen. out the Latino nerd experience. And I was wearing my Queen Cambria hoodie. And um, so when I came through, it was like, someone's like, oh, you know, there's another fence. And I'm like, who who said that? How do you know that? Because <laughs> it's one of those, like, you don't really, if you know, you know. Like, matter of fact, there's a guy I used to work with. I used to wear um, the Queen Cambria uh, keyword hoodie. And everybody used to think I was a Satanist, which I thought was hysterical. You're not? So, no. Oh. I mean, I don't Fair know. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could be. Uh, Depends if I qualify. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the paperwork is very hard to fill out. So, yeah, the tickets are expensive. But I think now, at least with a lot of these bands coming across with their anniversaries, we're now at least seeing at least a, a more of appreciation or resurgence for a lot of the bands that we grew up with. And I think at least hopefully maybe that'll in turn inspire people to maybe start reopening some of these spaces again. Like, hell, I used to even troll around like Maxwell's and that closed down and became like a bistro eight times over. Yeah. I mean, I, I, unfortunately, I don't know if I think our, I think it's kind of had its moment. Yeah. And I think it's gone. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's somewhere someone will open some art space and, you know, also let, you know, some live music happen. I know some guys around town and some girls who are very pro that kind of stuff and, and, and try to do what they can to like pop up stuff here and there. But I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just disconnected now as a, as a older, as an older punk from, yeah. from the scene. But, uh, it just seemed like there were way more bands back then than there are now. I don't know if it would have the same momentum as it used to. And maybe that's okay if it's not maybe necessarily as it used to be, but maybe it could be something different. Yeah. Or at least something new, which honestly, I feel like there maybe should be something new. And I think that's maybe what I lament more is that whatever the next shift was supposed to be, I feel like maybe didn't quite happen. But I don't know. I, I remain hopeful. I w- yeah, I would put my trust in the uh, in the earlier in the younger generations and, and hope that they figure out a way to kind of keep that kind of stuff going, as opposed to just letting it die off and not having cool basement shows or local shows or VFW shows or anything like and that. And not three hundred dollar revival well, I would, shows. <laughs> I would I would, all, I would also if if they're listening, reach out to you know send a message to to the bands that we loved and the 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 bands that we grew up listening to and go. Dude, like, what the fuck? Why is it $300 a ticket? Like, and I try not to, like, crap do- on the bands themselves. I don't know if it's a promoter thing or maybe they can ran a price point because I know people got to eat, but it is it is kind of wild. Yeah, but why why does it have to be $300 a ticket? Why do Misfits reunion tickets every in every city that they're doing? have to be what it is like two hundred dollars four hundred dollars eight hundred dollars like it's just it's crazy man and it's it's prohibitive and it's contrary to everything that you built your career on right and it's just you know it would be is it more work to play more shows for with it with a lower ticket price but sell them all out i mean 
And I think that's kind of the part that and maybe that's a conversation that probably will happen or needs to happen amongst the, maybe the different communities. Because I, I know it's like the money is not really there as much, but there's got to be some way to kind of meet in the middle. Or maybe it's just not a thing anymore. I don't know. I don't want to be the downer of yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm trying not to be either, but I'm like, shit, like, is, are, are we washed? Is this it? Yeah, I mean... I guess I guess the the music we grew up with built the foundation for what's here now, like Elvis and Johnny Cash and MC5 and all these older bands built the foundation for what we had. But I don't remember like bands that I like growing up I would have considered to be the grandfathers of rock music or whatever, you know, reuniting and then charging two hundred dollars a ticket to go see them when I was a kid. So I don't know why these bands that have built the foundation for what's going on now feel the need to reunite at 300 bucks a pop. Yeah. And that's something that is maybe a whole other podcast in and of itself. Cause I mean, I've seen like those discussions and those threads about the price that we've kind of paid for nostalgia. A lot of stuff that we're into as far as like, you know, star Wars or even like Marvel stuff, or at least especially the music scene, because again, you know that, the fan base of my chemical romance was huge. Yeah. And I was into it. A lot of people are into it. Like, heck, like my stepkid, like he's now singing the Black Parade, which started out as a meme, but I think now he likes him. So it's kind of come full circle. That's fine. <laughs> so when you find out that, like when they broke up, it was like, I, I really feel like that was sort of like the end of that scene era for at least that generation. Yeah. So when they came back, that's yeah. kind of a big deal. But then to be so prohibitive. And again, I'm really hoping that's not necessarily a bad decision because I'm not here trying to necessarily crap on anybody, be super negative about it. But somewhere down the line, I feel like there's a disconnect. Yeah. You know that you could command that much of a price point because, you know, there's a lot of hungry fans around the world who I'm sure would love to go see them. But I'm like, it's a little explicit. Is the line you could or should? Right. Well, and I so. get it. That band's like aren't gonna say gonna play like the ten dollar basement shows. Right. You're not gonna see Rage Against the Machine play at, you know, White Eagle Hall in Jersey City. <laughs> I mean, if they did, I Which mean that would be, would be that would be nuts. It'd be amazing. It'd also be a shit show for anybody who works there. Uh and I'm sure nobody would wanna be at the bar that night. Uh, like if I found out that like they were playing like the meat locker, I'm pretty sure like that place would be filled to capacity. But, you know, especially a band like Rage Against the Machine, you, you would think that they would figure out some way to play the larger venues for less money than most most artists do it for because of who they are and what they represent. And, and that's the part that's for. more hurtful than, let's say, the My Chemical Romance thing, because that's, yeah. been, that's been very much their message. So then when I found out that they were- I maintain headlining- that the last time I saw My Chemical Romance was still at Bloomfield Ave Cafe. And that was for the first record. And I have, I never, I did not- uh, I probably no. That's not that's probably not true. Uh, they they probably played skate and surf at least once or twice when that was going on in Asbury Park. As far as like an actual show, not not a festival. Yeah, the last time right. I saw them was for the first record at Bloomfield Ave Cafe. In hindsight, it was better than I remember it being at the time. Because at the time, <laughs> I was going like, Ah, who are these guys? <laughs> My Chemical Romance, huh? <laughs> Uh, you know, but it was good, and I bought the record anyway. So, uh, and I know you, I was like that one hardcore. Oh, I love that! I love that. Fr- that first record is fantastic. It's amazing. I the mean, second one's really good too. I, I just fell off after that, but uh, yeah. you know, I never, I, I, I never, I never got on the Black Parade. No, Two thousand six uh, was around the time where I think I kind of cut off like a lot of the scene stuff, but then I just got like super angsty and became a lot of like metalcore. 
Ooh, metalcore. Jay Kelly likes my friend Jay likes a lot of metalcore. He's big in the. He, he loves corn. Loves corn. Which they're now playing with Faith No More. And I of course saw they, that. And I'm like, uh, I want to see Faith No More, but I don't want to see corn. Now, if this were like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, if corn was playing, I'd be like, oh hell yeah. Then like Faith No More, I'm like whatever. But as I get older, and I'm realizing Mike, Mike Patton is kind of like Mike Patton's a genius. He's my uh, fucking hero. Uh, he's my he's my spirit animal. It's like um, it's nuts. And now that's a show I would go to. Now 300 bucks, no. Yeah, no, but, not for 300 bucks. Hell, I mean, glass straw. It's like I said, it's the 20th anniversary. I mean, are they as big as Raising Against the Machine? No, but like, what, 30 no. something bucks a ticket minus probably all the like, service fees or whatever? That's fairly reasonable. Even with the service fees, it came to like, it was under 80 bucks for both tickets. That's not bad. For me and my wife, so. Because yeah. even like Cody, no like complaint. they're doing a full album show for No World for Tomorrow uh, this fall, and I think tickets are like 40 each, and the service charges are a bit much because it's Ticketmaster. Yeah. But even then, it's like this isn't that bad. It's not 300. Like it's right. 90. You know, it, it's up there. But you know what? You know you're gonna get your money's worth because they always put on a great show. Right. I would hate to spend that much and then have them sleepwalk through like Gorilla Radio and then like yeah, Tom Rowell do like the right scratching thing, and I'm like, all right, peace out, guys. I'm like, no, I just. That it just really kind of bummed me out. Yeah, I also don't want to. I don't want to see Rage Against the Machine sitting in a chair. It's weird to me. If I go to see Rage Against the Machine, I want to stand and not stand in an aisle. Like I want to stand in front of the stage, but that's going to cost me like nine hundred dollars, and I'm not into that. So also, I also don't have that kind of cash. So maybe there's a little bit of saltiness uh, because I can't afford a nine hundred dollars. No, but Rage I think even if you went, there'd, there'd be a little bit of a disconnect because that's a show, like you said, a standing room, like a Starland kind of show or Irving Plaza. Where I'll trim my mustache to be more ironic than it already is, if it'll get me a discount on. <laughs> not. Um... Oh, there were irony discount. I would have probably milked that for all its <laughs> But, Jeff, man, this has been actually a lot of fun. I've always appreciated the work that you've done, not only just in the community, but just also a comic book store that gives a shit. The comic book store that gives a shit. We're going to add that to the list of taglines that I saw. So I was at a show recently, and I was talking to a, a comic book writer, and he we were talking about the coronavirus, and he said, well, every pathogen needs a host. And I went... That's a that's a good tagline. I said I'm. I'm I don't know about. Copy, I don't know if that's copy, gonna work. Copyright over. 2020. Eastside Mags. Eastside Mags. Every pathogen needs a host. That just uh, sounds frightening. Like, <laughs> well, I'm gonna uh, the the sticker company I use does deals very often on. Uh, <laughs> so you're. Gonna <laughs> so we're gonna do limited edition stickers officially now uh, with the poop emoji. Unless I can come up with something better, it's Eastside Mags, the comic book store that gives a shit. Uh, we're gonna do uh, Eastside Mags. Every pathogen needs a host with like a gas mask on it. And you know what? We're gonna do the uh, the ATDI gas mask. That's uh, okay. See now, all now right. You've, now now you've inspired me. Nice. Yeah, we're gonna keep it going. And I'm gonna find some way for some way to use the shit one as a reference to another band. So. Uh, <laughs> Maybe maybe Taylor Swift. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> T Swift. Uh, she's adorable, but her music's terrible. So it's fine. Oh God! I no comment, folks. What are the fans called again? Are they Swifties? Is that what it is? Yeah. I got, God, I now so. I sound old and tired. Like now I just I just really just date myself. Matt Matt Rosenberg, who who writes for who's writing a lot of stuff for Marvel right now, yeah. including Hawkeye Freefall, which is on shelves, and uh, you should totally read it because it's a really good book. Um, shameless plug for Matt Rosenberg. Uh, his his social media profile picture for a long time was a picture of Taylor Swift. Oh, that's genius. In her car, 
in a car with her arms crossed, and someone had drawn uh, straight edge X's on her on on the. <laughs> oh back wait, of her I think head. I remember seeing that like a while ago. Uh, like that's hilarious. And I remember, and I remember like every time I would see him post something, or every time he and I would get into a conversation about something on on social media, I would just be staring at that picture of her and going, "Ah, oh, so fucking genius!" Like I'm, just, it's one of those things where you see somebody else do it, and you yeah. Go, I never would have thought of that, but if I had thought of that, I would have felt, I would have been so proud. Like, I, that would have been, like, one of the shining moments in my life is, like, oh, my God, look at that picture of Taylor Swift. Let's put straight edge X's on him. <laughs> and, like, oh, it's so good. Oh, this is the best picture I've ever, ever photoshopped. You know? <laughs> and uh, I aspire to uh, photoshop something half as cool as Taylor Swift with straight edge X's on the backs of her hand. I, I am thinking at some point, though, you might have to work in glass straw somewhere. Soon, my forthcoming son is going to be named Daryl. Not to, uh, you know, sound like that guy, but yeah, we're, na- we're naming him Daryl. And uh, I did manipulate the glass straw uh, logo into a t- into what will be a tattoo for my other arm uh, for my for my other son. That's a, that his, is really his name sweet. is going to be Daryl George Beck. So I took the the glass shawl logo erased the dot and then flipped it flipped it vertically and then horizontally so i could get a d g b out of it since my last name is back oh that's actually kind of genius uh i lobbed the curly part off the g for the d and the b and then the middle part is going to be the glass shawl logo for the g so that's that's actually pretty clever d g b and uh that's going to go on my left arm my right arm's got my Batman Milo tattoo for my first son, and then my Star Wars Rebel Alliance logo, but we're just going to keep adding until we have two full sleeves. Very cool. And then I got to lose weight so I can get, like, money <laughs> money over comics, or comics <laughs> over money in old English letters tattooed on my stomach. Like, uh, Put it over your chest, like, right over there with, like, the old, like, 90s, like, gangsta font. Yeah. There that's you what go. I want to do. Nice. Or I want my chest and, and stomach to look like a Chipotle bag. <laughs> um, I might just go to Chipotle, buy a burrito, throw the burrito in the trash because I'm not paying for extra. I'm not paying for guacamole, and then take the bag to the tattoo artist and go. Can you just put this put all over here? And we'll see if I don't get the shit, the shit kicked out of me in a tattoo shop. Yeah, I don't. I think you'll be all right. I know a couple guys who would be like, "Fuck it, if you're gonna pay for it, I'll do it." Right? Like, <laughs> it'll just be all Chipotle tattoos all over my chest and stomach. Nice. But before we head out, though, I know we mentioned the store a few times, but I don't know if you want to throw out any more handles or uh, anything else you feel at, like plugging at Eastside Mags on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can check our Tumblr page, but we don't post nudes, so uh, you're probably not interested if you're on Tumblr. Um, well, there's, you're doing it wrong, clearly. Well, I mean, if I got to post pictures of my feet, I will, if it'll sell comics. Um, but just my feet. Um, and what's it called? <laughs> holding, <laughs> holding holding, different comics between my toes. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Eastside Mags, uh, eastsidemags.com for the website. And uh, yeah, right here in, in sometimes sunny Montclair Center. It has Montclair, New Jersey. I have not seen a sun in about three months. So. No one's seen the sun in like three months. Hooray. And thank you so much. You've always been a supporter of us and just me. Thank and you, also, man. you've just been a great friend. You do you, you do a great podcast. You're a great human being. And well, I certainly I, hope so. I appreciate you as well. And right. it's, it's good to have somebody sleeping in the store when we're closed so that, you know, if anybody tries to rob us, there's actually a person here and not just. Yeah. 
you know, an alarm system. So, and and I think it's perfect. As soon as they cut a break in, they just see some guy sleeping on the floor. It's like, oh man, this this place looks like it's already hard up. Yeah. I'm gonna leave it alone. But they, they break in, and you just go, oh, do you need me to roll over or what? <laughs> <laughs> the good stuff's in the back. Just, I only got three hours of sleep last night. Leave me, leave me bed. Just be quiet about it. We'll see you next to quiet, quietly snapping photos of their faces as they haul my merchandise out the door. It was like the Hulk's up on the top shelf. <laughs> 181, you can't miss it. Can't miss it. Just let me sleep. God damn it. <laughs> have a good night, everybody. You have a good night. For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.